0: That I believe nap time should be mandatory through all grades of school and even into adulthood. Um, that's just my personal belief, but. Uh, why move on if you don't have to I mean if, if why face a new grade with new information you may not know why uh, challenge yourself why face those difficult questions and the uncertainty of first grade and uh, why push yourself to a limit that you may not be comfortable with and we, we always expect kids to grow up and mature and uh, even though we tried to stop it we tried to slow it down we try to keep our kids from growing up as long as we can we expect them to to grow up and mature. We expect them to, to reach a level where they uh, become adults at some point, and, and we expect them to grow up, and we expect them to mature in their behavior and what they know and what they do. And the real question for us as adults, and even some of us who are, are youth and uh, younger kids, uh, may be this idea of what are you expecting for your spiritual life? We expect this of our kids. We expect this uh, from, from young people. But do we expect ourselves to mature beyond the point where we are right now. Do we expect ourselves to mature um, and to grow and to learn, especially when it comes to matters of faith? How often do we expect ourselves to grow in maturity in our spiritual life? Or are we content just living in kindergarten and with kindergarten faith? And maybe maybe we moved on past kindergarten. Maybe we're in first grade now or third grade now. But are we content just living the rest of our spiritual life there or are we challenging ourselves to move on to mature in the Christian faith? Are we settling for this diet of milk instead of meat um, and settling for an immature faith rather than mature faith? And this morning, uh, we're going to be challenged to the last part of uh, verse or chapter 5 in the book of Hebrews, uh, really to kind of examine your personal faith, examine your own spiritual life, and do you show signs of maturity or do you show signs of immaturity? Now, some of you might remember we have been walking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we started back in September. We've been going kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Um, and we got all the way to this part in verse 11. Um, and we took a pause for Advent. We, we focused on the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ. And, uh, but the whole premise of the book of Hebrews is simply that Jesus is superior, that he is supreme to everything. He, he's superior to any other option that you might have. He's better than the laws of Moses. He's better than the battles and the military might of Joshua. He's better than the priesthood that Israelites had, and especially the priesthood of Aaron, who was their first priest. And it's in the midst of that conversation that the topic is, is where we're kind of at. And so in chapter 5, the author of Hebrews starts this discussion about the priesthood of Christ and how it's better and how it's superior to what they see and what they experience in church every other Saturday. All right, uh, And they went to church on Saturdays instead of Sundays. But, and in the midst of this discussion, he stops that discussion because that discussion starts at chapter 5 and really runs through chapter 7. But all of a sudden he pauses right here at the end of chapter 5 to kind of just discuss this idea of, hey, this is an important topic, but we're going to struggle with it because we're immature in our faith. And so I want you to pick this idea up with me in verse 11 of chapter 5 and see kind of this break that he discusses the immature faith that they have and that we're going to be challenged to move beyond this week and next week. So I want you to read with me um, in Hebrews chapter 5. We'll start in verse 11, read through verse 14, which is the end of the verse there or chapter there, but verse 11. Says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those, who sense, or excuse me, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Uh, God, we thank you for the, the talents that you give people. And God, we thank you for the abilities that you give folks to, to lead us in worship. And even younger folks to, to build those things up. God, we pray maturity continues for these young ladies as they continue to grow in their talents and their abilities to to worship you and to lead others to do that. God, we pray for others, and God, that you will mature and and build up their talents and their abilities. And God, maybe it's not up here on stage, but maybe it's serving you in some other way. And so, God, we thank you, uh, God, that we see that happening in their lives and also the lives of others. God, we pray this morning for this time that we have together, this text that we have. God, I pray that we are challenged this morning. God, honestly... I'm praying that some of us are uncomfortable this morning because of what this text says about us. God, I pray this morning that there be conviction where it needs to be. God, I pray there's comfort where it needs to be there as well, God. But I pray this morning that we don't walk in this place and we turn around and walk out without being challenged and out being changed by Your Word this morning, Father. And so, God, I pray that You speak. And God, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if we don't like the topic, even if our toes get stepped on, and God, even if we are painfully stricken with this Word of Truth, God, speak it nonetheless. And God, let us be open. Let us be open to your conviction. Let us be open to your comfort. Let us be open to your words this morning, Father. God, just speak. Come like the flood and overwhelm us this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last December, we took one of our dogs, uh, the younger, the younger, smaller one, to get fixed. And uh, that you give you uh, after they give you this or after they do the surgery they give you this paper and all this paperwork that says this is what you can expect and this is what you should kind of pay attention to and uh and so the kind of these are the warning signs and so it kind of told you on the paper and they told us that after the surgery that hey she's going to be pretty lethargic for the rest of the day she's just going to lay around and do nothing for the rest of the day which we've never had a dog that just lays around and does nothing i don't know how we we don't have dogs like we try to get dogs that do that but they don't like they're all energetic i don't know if if it's just our family dynamic or whatever, but uh, so we were kind of excited that she was just going to lay there and do nothing because then that was what we were hoping for. But she, uh, th- what they told us was that this would wear off. That like today, this is she's just going to lay around and do nothing. Tomorrow she may be a little more energetic, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. so you're going to see kind of her energy rise over the next couple days. And so over a few days, uh, that you should kind of see her not exactly back to normal. She's still going to be a little sore, but you should see her be active. You should see her be more energetic. She should become more like herself over the next couple days. And so we knew that was the case, and... Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. That first day, she did nothing. She just laid around and just moped around. And the next day, she got a little better. And the next day, she got a little better. The next day, she got a little bit better than that. And so we thought, oh, well, we're on the right track. Everything seems to be back to normal. We're on the, the progress track, except for this big, huge cone thing that she had to wear and loved it. And we thought it was kind of fun to watch her navigate corners with that. But um, So we had a good time with that, and she um, she started getting better. And then all of a sudden we noticed that she kind of turned and went backwards. Like, she started becoming more lethargic. She started laying around a little more and and not really getting up and not really doing anything. And we really just thought the whole cone of shame thing was really getting to her. Like, maybe it was just she was embarrassed by the cone. She got tired of bumping into stuff. But then we just kind of kept noticing, Now she's really not acting Normal. She is really just laying around more. And so we we emailed the vet that did the surgery and we said, hey, here's some things that we've noticed. She's really lethargic. She's got these knots on her, her belly where you guys did the surgery and we're a little concerned. And so the very first question they asked me was, is she eating and drinking like normal? And in my mind, I'm like, well, is that really, like, I'm not concerned about whether she's eating and drinking. Like, I'm concerned that she's not doing anything. I'm concerned that she's got these knots on her stomach. And, and so, she, so I said, no, she's, we, we, she really isn't eating a lot. She, in fact, she's hardly eating anything. And he said, well, the, the lack of energy could be the pain medicines, that's normal. He said, but that lack of appetite. That's what concerns us a little bit. So we want you to watch her really closely and see if she'll eat anything for the next, you know, day. And if she doesn't eat anything, then you probably need to bring her in, right? And so th- this lack of appetite or this change in eating habits for them was this, this major sign that there's something going on on the inside. There's something wrong on the inside that we can't see it. We don't know what's going on, but there's something going on inside that's causing her not to desire to eat like she normally does. And so for some dogs, it's a sign of infections. For some dogs, it's an intestinal blockage. And for some, it's, there's pain. But there's all kinds of these things that, that this first indicator that something's wrong on the inside is there's this lack of appetite. The, the dogs just don't want to necessarily eat or they change their eating habits. And, and so it's this kind of warning sign. There's something going on underneath the surface that you may not know about. Right? And the same is true. For us and our spiritual lives, for us and our faith, that, that one of the first indicators that something is not in line like it's supposed to be, that something is not happening like it's supposed to be, that we're not maturing like we're supposed to be, is that we have no appetite for what we should have. Right, and, and sometimes it means that we lose an appetite for God and God's word. That, that sometimes it means that we're immature in our faith. Sometimes there's major problems that happen when we're immature in our faith because we do not desire. We don't have an appetite for God's word. And this is the warning that he gives in verse 11. Like I said, Hebrews is, is all about the supremacy of Christ, all about building up Christ and telling him how Christ is greater. You don't need to go back to the Jewish faith. You don't need to turn and you don't need to keep doing these Jewish things. Just trust Christ. Right? And he's been building up, this, building, up, building up this whole time telling them how great Christ is and not trying to convince them to become Christians because they already are Christians, but he's just superior to anything else. There's no need to go back. There's no need to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. There's no need to do all this. And so even the priesthood, you need to understand God is, or Christ is superior. He's a better priest than the priest that you went and visited last week. You don't need to go to do that guy anymore. Right? You just need to trust in the priesthood of Christ. But he stops in the midst of that discussion, like I said in chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7, he stops in the midst of that discussion, and he pauses this kind of in subject here in verse 11, and he says, we have a great deal to say about this. We got a whole lot that I want to tell you about the priesthood of Christ. Right? In fact, I got two other chapters that I'm going to write to you about the priesthood of Christ. But, I can't, alright? I'm going to. But it's going to be difficult. He goes in verse 7. He says, we have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. If you've got a different translation, it might say that you become dull of hearing. The word uh, translated is lazy or dull. It means to be slothful. It means to be sluggish. It really means to be um, unmotivated. There's just an apathy towards this. There is a lack of desire to understand God's Word. There's no appetite to make Him or that makes you want to learn, or to listen, or even read God's Word. Now, I want you to notice also in that verse, he doesn't say that explaining the priesthood of Christ is hard. He's not struggling with how do I explain this to people. What he's saying is this is hard to explain because you don't want to listen to it. Did you see that in the text? When he, when he says that, that you have become so dull in your hearing, you become so sluggish in your hearing, that, that it's not a difficult concept. The problem is that, that you don't want to do it. How do I give this to people who are unmotivated to listen long enough to understand they become too lazy in their understanding, that they have no desire to question, they have no desire to dig deeper, they have no desire to try and understand what he's saying? How do we explain this to people who just really just want to absorb it and move on? And so the question really becomes for you and I sitting here is, is does this describe us? Do, do you and I have a lack of appetite for God's Word? And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to tell you how to figure that out. Because some of you are sitting here this morning, some of you are watching online this morning, and you're like, well, no, I don't have a lack of appetite. I'm here. I'm in church. But I can share with you there's a whole lot of reasons that people come to church that have nothing to do with the Word of God. For some of us, we have an appetite for the social atmosphere that is here in this room. And I love the social atmosphere that happens in this room. We walk in, there's friendly faces, we get to shake hands, we get to say hey to people, we get to talk with people about their week, and there's this great socialization that happens and this great time of fellowship that happens we get to connect with all these people. And so there's some folks that come to church because they have this appetite for the social environment that's here. You come in and you see all these folks and then you sit down and you're just waiting for the time when this man will be quiet and so you can stand up and you can talk to the people around you again. If that's you, then you don't have an appetite for God's Word. You have an appetite for other people. And you've got a need to be around other people. There's some of you that, have, that are here this morning that your appetite is not necessarily for people. Your appetite is for music you love what just happened on this stage that, that you come and you just want to get lost in the music you just want to be lost in the moments of worship and so you just can't wait until the band picks your favorite song or, or just that that one song and as soon as they hit that first note man you just you're just there And so you have this amazing appetite for worship and this amazing appetite for music. And so you're so pumped when you come in and we start singing these songs. Then all of a sudden there's this intermission for you that happens. Because the band sits down and some guy gets up and he says, all right, let's get out your Bibles and let's read God's Word and let's study God's Word. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, intermission mode. Time to go to the bathroom. Time to get up and go get coffee. And for some of you, this is intermission because you're just waiting for the band to come back so you can do what you want to do. You've got an appetite for music. You've got an appetite for worship. But you don't have an appetite for God's Word. For some of you, this that we're doing right now, this is just the seventh inning stretch for you. You're just waiting for the big finale to come at the end. And so just because you're here doesn't mean that you have an appetite for God's Word. And don't get me wrong, worship is extremely important. And and coming and being part of the fellowship is extremely important. It's part of the reason we do what we do. But i got to be honest with you. If the only reason you come is to be around other people or to have good music, then then you might as well go to a concert or join a social club. You might as well go to a karaoke bar because, to be honest with you, they got plenty of music. It's not near as good as this, but they got plenty of music. If you buy enough rounds for people, you'll have tons of friends. You'll be surrounded by a whole lot of people that are very interesting that you can talk with, and they got good stories. But listen, there's got to be a deeper reason for us to be here. There's got to be a deeper reason. There has to be an appetite, a desire for God's word, and, and we can. Let me just dig this hole a little bit deeper while I'm already here, because some of you are already mad, some of you are already offended, and you're already reasoning in your head. we we'll be like, well, if the preacher wouldn't preach so long, I'd be all right. Or maybe the preacher wasn't so dull, I'd be all right. Maybe I'd have a better appetite if I had a better preacher. And I get it. I wish you had a better preacher too, but this is one you're stuck with, all right? (laughs) And so I'll be honest with you, I get tired of listening to myself talk too sometimes. But Warren Wiersbe gave this great observation, and and it has hit me, um, just me personally this week. And he says, one of the first symptoms of spiritual regression or backsliding is the dullness towards the Bible. Sunday school becomes dull. The preaching is dull. Everything spiritual is dull. He said the problem is not the teacher. It's not the preacher. It's often the believer himself. If the common factor in everything in your spiritual life is dull is you, then maybe you're the problem and not everybody else. Listen to me. I love each and every one of you that are here this morning dearly, and I love each and every one of you that gather online dearly this morning, but I have learned through the course of being a dad That I cannot spoon feed a baby that won't open its mouth. Listen, the appetite has to be from within. The desire to hear God's Word. The desire to learn God's Word. The desire to listen to God's Word. To be changed by God's Word. To grow in God's Word. It has to come from within. And if it's not, then there's a sign of spiritual immaturity that's happening with you. We have to move on from this desire of just being uh, praising and worshiping. We have to move on from this desire of just being around other people to experience the sweetness of God's Word for ourselves. Randy Alcorn gave this great illustration. It says, when you taste honey, you're like Winnie the Pooh. It's never enough. You always want more of. And he goes on to say, this is true with spiritual Scripture as well. It is nourishing, but the thought of nourishment alone will not bring us to the table. We need to actively cultivate our appetites for God and for His Word and experience its sweetness for ourselves. The truth is that we can't be a good, healthy appetite of God if we're not desiring His Word. And so I want you to understand that if we're going to be spiritually healthy, if we're going to spiritually mature, not just now and not just in the future, in the days ahead, that we've got to have this appetite for His Word. And we've got to taste it like honey, that we want more of it each and every single day. And so if you, you really want to be mature in faith you've got to have this appetite for god's word and there's a second thing you got to have and you got to have this ability to share you say i don't know if you've been around kids very much or, or around kids you don't have to be around them very long the kids don't have a desire or an ability to share Right and the kids, when they're little, they want everything, and whether they're going to play with it or not, they want it okay, and if, as soon as you have it, they want it too okay and it doesn't matter if they've got ten toys you got one, they want eleven toys, and so they really have no desire to share uh, they just want to hold on to it and so we 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 know this, and we see this and, and we Part of the problem and the reason they do that is because they really don't connect that there's a world outside of them. They really don't connect that, hey, listen, you're part of a community, you're part of a group, and the decisions that you make as an individual really do affect the rest of the community. And the community may be the playground, the community may be the nursery, the community may be your living room, the community may be whatever, but the decisions each person in that community makes really affects everybody else in that community. You let one kid take a toy from another kid, and all of a sudden one kid starts crying, and watch it spread like coronavirus all through the room. Right? It will happen. Right? And so we teach kids that, that, listen, you've got to mature in this. You've got to learn that you've got to share. If you're going to pass kindergarten, you've got to move on from this. You've got to learn to share. You've got to learn that you're not alone in this world. The world doesn't revolve around you, and you have to share stuff with other people. What you do in the community really affects the community itself. And so immature children and immature Christians really have this inability to share. They just keep things on their own. But with our Christian faith, we're not really talking about our physical possessions that we struggle to share. We're talking about our faith and really the tenets of our faiths themselves. See, in verse 12, is the beginning of that verse is where he starts to, to kind of address this topic. I want you to look with me. He says, although by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. We'll finish the rest of that verse in just a moment. But before we get into the specifics of this verse, I want to to kind of zoom out for just a minute. I want you to remember who this letter is written to. Because it's very easy for all of us sitting here and all of us watching online to say that verse 12, that's preachers. That's their job. Right? But I want your reminder, to remind you, this letter is not a letter to pastors. This letter is not a letter to, to pastors. It's not a letter to, to professional or vocational ministers. It's not a letter to people who went to seminary. It's not a letter to people who, who got a certain degree. No, this is a letter written to a congregation, to a church. Right? It is a letter to, not to the person who stands in front of the church preaching, but to all the people sitting in the community of believers. This is honestly and very specific to you all. To all of us as members of the community. It's not just to me. And the reason I stress that is because it's very tempting to read verse 12 and say, Oh, well, there ought to be more preachers. We need more preachers out there. But it's not talking about preachers. It's talking about teachers. And it's talking about you sitting there as a, comm- as a member of the community. Right? It's telling everybody in the community, everybody, all of you, y'all ought to be teachers by now. Did you hear that? There's this expectation that everybody in the community is a teacher. There's this obligation to pass on your faith to those that are coming behind you. And I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about younger Christians. Dr. Al Moler is the president of Southern Baptist Seminary. And he says all Christians are expected to be teachers in the sense that they should be prepared to train new believers in the fundamentals of the faith. The congregation should consist of willing, mature disciples who are training up new and less developed disciples. What we need is disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. But unfortunately, the Hebrew congregation that he's writing now, they can't do that. They ought to be able to, but they can't do it because instead of being teachers, they need somebody to teach them again. And that word again there is a key part of that passage because it's okay to need a teacher. We all need teachers at some point. That None of us are ever going to reach a point where we know it all. None of us are ever going to reach a point in our spiritual lives where we have all the answers. It's okay to read. It's okay to study. It's okay to to ask questions. And so he's not condemning them for not knowing everything. He's not condemning them for, for asking questions. What he's telling them is, listen, the things that you should know, you don't know. Because you need it to be taught to you again. You see, you're missing the basic lessons here, the basic principles. What you've got is this guy in the video who, he's old enough, he's been there long enough that he should be the one teaching the kindergarten class. But instead, what is he doing? He's just sitting in kindergarten class. You see, most of us sitting in this room, we've been Christians long enough and yet we're still sitting in the kindergarten class. And I want to share with you, this is not an intellectual problem that we're dealing with. It's an inspiration problem. It's it's an interest problem. It's an inclination problem. It's not a mental problem that you can't move past it or you can't understand it. It's a motivational problem. Remember, they become dull in what God's Word says, and so they don't feel any need to hear, much less to retain it. I imagine them, and some of them have walked in church every single week. Some of them have walked into Gospel Project or small groups every single week and they sat in here and they listened and then they, every word that came in one ear went right out the other. I imagine that some of them have done this for years. They walked in, they heard sermons, they sat down in a, in a Sunday school class, and they sat down in a small group, and they got up and they walked out, and not a word that was said stuck in their minds, and, and not a word that, they, that was said changed anything about their lives. And they've been doing this for years, long enough that they should be the ones teaching, and yet they don't have any desire to teach because they never even learned it in the first place. You see, the saddest mark, or the saddest part of this mark of immaturity, is it doesn't just hinder you. It really affects everybody around you. It really hinders the growth of the whole community of believers. There are new believers, young believers, that need to be taught. They need the wisdom of an older, more mature generation. But the problem is the ones who should be mature enough to teach them, they're not doing it. And i got news for you. When a younger generation needs wisdom, and the older generation in front of them doesn't have wisdom to give them, the younger generation is going to find wisdom from somewhere else. They're going to go and they're going to get the answers they're looking for from someone else. And I got to share with you the answers are there, but the answers they get are going to look very different than the answers that we should be giving them and the answers that we should be sharing with them. And so this writer really gets to them and he's really struggling with this idea listen, you don't understand. That your lack of maturity in faith isn't just affecting you. It is affecting the next generation of believers and really the generation after them and the generation after them and the generation after them, one after another after another. And because you didn't have a desire to pay attention and listen to God's Word, someone else is going to suffer because of it. And I wish I could tell you this problem ended with this letter, but it didn't. In 2019, the year before pandemic and the world was, went crazy, 4,500 churches in America alone closed their doors for the last time. 4,500 churches closed their doors to never to be opened again for the last time. And for some of them, it was kind of an abrupt shutdown. For some of them, it was this slow fade that they have been going for years and years and years. And, and then they just finally closed the doors. And there's lots of reasons why churches close their doors. But I'm going to tell you the, the truth and the hard truth. I can confidently say the vast majority of those 1400 or 4500 churches that closed their doors in 2019 it's because they didn't see verse 12 it's because those that should have been mature enough to teach chose not to do so. They either chose not to be mature enough or not to teach and not to pass on their Christian faith to the younger Christians coming behind them. They, they came and they listened and they listened and they listened and they never changed and they never passed on what they learned. And over time, that immaturity devoured their church from the inside. You want to see a church that dies a slow, painful death? Watch a church that doesn't do Verse 12. And so I'm going to get real personal with you for just a moment. And this is where some of us are going to get mad. Some of us are going to get more uncomfortable. But here's the question. What are you doing that makes a difference in this building and out of this building? You see, most of us sitting in this room have been Christians long enough that the expectations of verse 12 apply to us. I'm, going to, I'm just going to venture out and say, if you've been a Christian for the majority of your life, then the expectation of verse 12 applies to you. If you've been a Christian for the five years or six years that I've been here, the expectation of verse 12 falls on you. That most of us sitting in this room have been Christians long enough that we should be teachers. We should be building up and teaching younger Christians. And now I want to ask you this question. You're like, well, listen, I, I, don't, I don't really do kids. Kids are not my thing. But I want to share with you, I haven't said a word about kids because kids are not the only ones that need teachers. There are men in this church that are young in their faith and they need to be taught. There are women in this church who are young in their faith and they need to be taught. There are Bible studies and groups of all different ages and sizes and topics that need teachers. And I want to share with you that many of you sitting here are like, well, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have the degree. I haven't been to school. I don't know how to do that. But i got to tell you, it doesn't take any of that. All it takes is is a willingness to take God's Word and say, listen, why don't you and I, why don't us in a group, why don't we sit down with this book of the Bible, and why don't we just go through it verse by verse and figure it out as we go? I don't have the answers, I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to try. And we'll figure this out together as we go. It doesn't take a seminary degree to do that. You know what it takes? A Bible, and I bet you every one of you has got at least one of them. That's all it takes and a desire to do it, a desire to fulfill verse 12, that you ought to be teachers. And so i got to share with you that the, there there's a great need for this. And if kids are your thing, then trust me, there's plenty of room for you to do that with kids as well. Ms. Kelly will be glad to find a spot for you. But I you got to hear my heart for just a moment. The biggest need of our church, and in every church, in now and the years to come, is honestly, it's not more money. I know that may shock some of you because that's what all the preachers say is we could do more if we had more money, but that's not the case. We could do more if we had more teachers. Listen, the biggest need of our church now and in years to come is not more money. Sure, we'd love to do more. We'd love to build more. We'd love to have a bigger budget. But all of that pales in competition because none of that's going to fix if we don't fix verse 12. For all of us, we ought to be teachers. And the question is, are we going to step up and are we going to do it? Or are we just going to say that's somebody else's job because this letter doesn't apply to me? He didn't give you that option. We ought to be teachers. But if we're going to make that happen, then some of us are going to have to be willing to change our eating habits because we far too long have been settling for milk instead of meat. I, I'm probably the world's worst to give you any advice on eating habits whatsoever. I'm probably the world's worst to give you uh, any advice on, on what is nourishing and what is not nourishing to you. And, but I can share with you this because this is from God's Word in verse 12. In verse 13, the last part of verse 12, He says, You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message of righteousness because he is an infant. You see, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but milk from a cow or from a mother or any source is really food that's already been eaten by something or someone else. You ever thought about that? The nourishment that a child gets from the milk of their mother, the nourishment that comes from the milk of a cow, is because that mother or that cow ate something, and the nourishment from that has been processed, chewed up, processed and all, added some liquid to it, and there it is, and it's given to this child. And it's given to that child in a way that child can digest it. It's given in that because that child cannot do for themselves. It's given to that child because the child doesn't have teeth. It doesn't have the ability to chew for itself. It doesn't know how to do those things. It doesn't have the tools it needs to eat its own food. And so it gives the milk or the milk is given because it's already been chewed up. It's already been processed. And then the body just has to break it down. You see, because kids don't have teeth to do their own chewing then they have to drink the milk. But there's a time when our teeth grow. There's a time when we reach a a place where our our tools come in and and our ability to do it, it, it changes. And so we ought to be able to chew our own food. But listen, some of us got so used to milk and the easy food that we didn't take in the food that was there. Some of us got so used to the fact that the milk was there and it was easy that we didn't want to work ourselves we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to use the tools that we had, the tools that God put there for us. We didn't want to take time to gut our own food or, ch- or cut up our own food or even chew our own food because the milk's there. And it's just easier if somebody else does the work. You see, an immacru- immature Christian is one that doesn't do the work for themselves. It, it, they're, they're content letting everyone else or someone else do the work and all you have to do is just feed it to me. Because I'm not going to do it. You see, but I want to share with you if you don't want to be an immature Christian, if you really want to mature in your Christian faith, let me give you some real quick ways to do that. One of the first ways to do that is don't just read Scripture off the screens here. Right? We put the Scripture on the screens here because folks come in and, and they don't have a Bible, they don't, they don't own a Bible, and so this text is here, it's easy to follow, and I get that. But listen, if you want to start maturing in your faith, then bring your Bible, turn to the passage that I'm telling you, and read them for yourself because it's there. And when I give you a reference that's outside of the scriptures that we're talking about, jot them down and look them up, right? And I, I've told my kids this, I've told my wife this, because uh, I, I'm, I'm fully honest and I will never try to lead you astray, but there are people who will. And there are people who will take this passage from way out in left field and all of a sudden put it in this text, and, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, suddenly their argument makes sense. Well, that works if you're going to take this passage here and this passage here and this passage here and you're just going to throw them all together. You can make the Bible say anything you want to if you're willing to use it like that. And so the reason that you jot down cross references, the reason you write those down you look them up for yourself is because you need to check up you need to make sure that what I'm saying is what the Word of God says. That, that you need to make sure that I'm using the text and I'm using it right. And I'm telling you, not, not, not just for me, but you need to do that with everybody. Every Bible study you are in, you need to have the Word of God, whether it's on your phone or iPad or the, the uh, printed copy. You need to have it there and you need to read it. Every right now media video that you watch, you need to do it with God's Word in hand because it is the standard by which you judge that video. It is the truth that you judge every teacher or your pastor on. And so you want to start maturing in your faith and start with holding God's Word in your hand and reading it for yourself. Another way to mature in His Word is simply, listen, don't settle for a once a week service from a dull preacher who talks way too long. Listen, you don't have to get God's Word here on your own. You can do it. I've told you this before. The Bible is more accessible now than it's ever been throughout the history of mankind and yet it's led less than in the history of mankind. Do you understand that there are people in in the history past that would love to have a copy of God's Word? There are people in this world right now that would love to have a copy of God's Word who literally will die because they have a copy of God's Word, and yet we treat it like it's just another book on our shelf, like it's a doorstop that we can put on our car, we we can put in our car, we can put on a shelf, and then next Sunday when we go to church, because it's what we do when we go to church, we'll just grab our Bible and we'll take it there. Listen, you will never mature in your faith if you only eat out of the Word of God once a week. Think about your own appetite. You would starve to death if you physically ate once a week, wouldn't you? Why do we think that we can spiritually mature? Why do we think that we can spiritually grow by doing this once a week? Get in the Word of God for yourself. Take the passages of Scripture and do your own homework. Dig into it. Start chewing up your own meat. Enjoy the meat. And i got to tell you, the milk is fine, but listen, the milk is never as good as the meat you will eat when you do it yourself. Get in there. Bite the meat off for yourself. There's one last mark of an immature Christian that he deals with it's simply that an immature Christian will eat anything. That they don't realize there are good and there are bad things to eat. You don't have to be around kids long to know that the same is true. They're going to put anything around them in their mouth. It's not going to be food. It's not necessarily going to be good for them. They're just going to pop it in there and figure out how it goes from there. i got a pretty interesting piece of mail this week and I'm hoping that none of the rest of you uh, got it but it was it just kind of caught my eye and uh, it was it is envelope and on it said that the blessed angel coin is on its way don't throw this away right and so I was curious about this blessed angel coin that was coming my way and so I opened up this piece of mail and, and like I said some of you may have gotten this I hope you didn't but some of you got it because in the envelope was this letter uh, there was this prayer mat uh, there, was, there was no blessed angel coin in there, just to be honest with you. But there was, this, uh, there was this letter, there was this prayer mat, there was this sealed personal prophecy that was written just for me, or really it was written for whoever the current resident of my address is. Um, but the letter gave very clear instructions that what I was supposed to do was I was supposed to, um, one, look at the prayer mat, because I had a picture of Jesus on it and His eyes were closed. And then if I, if I looked at it long enough, then His eyes would open. I gotta tell you, I looked at that thing for quite a bit of time. I'm not gonna lie, I looked at it. And I twisted it this way and that way and I turned it up and down thinking okay it's one of those things. I never saw eyes open, right? Just to be honest with you. And then the instructions were to take the take the prayer mat and, and place both of my knees on it. Right? So I'm assuming I was supposed to put it down, I was supposed to get on my knees, and I was supposed to put both knees, very specific, put both knees on the prayer mat. Right. And, and then I was supposed to pray um, over this, uh, this prayer mat. I was supposed to pray. Uh, it didn't tell me what to pray, but I was just supposed to pray over the prophecy that, I, that was in this sealed up paper. Uh, and then I was to fill out this form. And I was to mail this form back. And I was to mail this prayer mat back. And if I wanted to include a check in there, I absolutely could. They would be excited if I mailed this check back. And so then, after then, I could open up the prophecy. And I would be blessed because I would receive this angel coin and this massive financial blessing that would follow me that would follow shortly after I did all this. And, and again, I don't know if you got this, but I was kind of interested. And so I did exactly the opposite. I opened the prophecy and I read it. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was very disappointed because it was not personal to me at all. There was nothing in there. That that was personal to me. And so I did the next best thing I could think of. I, I picked all that stuff up. And I ripped it up. And I threw it in the trash can. And I prayed. And my honest prayer was that this would never go anywhere else. That it wouldn't find its way to any other doors or any other mailboxes. Because this is the stuff that leads people astray. This is the stuff that an immature Christian will grab a hold of and put in their mouth and start chewing that up because they don't realize that all that's out there is not the Word of God. It is not truth. Immature Christians will put anything in their mouth because they don't know the difference between real food and something that's not good for them. This is the warning in the final verse in verse 14. It says, But solid food is for the mature. For those who have senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You see, because they don't eat the solid food of Scripture for themselves, and they'll just eat anything. Someone who doesn't eat for themselves will literally just follow around and looking for their next meal. They will literally uh, feed off of whatever is left for them, and often they will feed on whoever feeds them the most, or whoever feeds them the loudest, or whoever feeds them last. And so an immature Christian will listen to this person like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then all of a sudden that person starts talking. And then they'll go over there and be like, oh, this is the truth. This is what we're looking for. And they don't realize that all the food that's out there, it's not all good. Right. Verse, 12, verse 14 makes it clear that the food is not all good. It may look good. It may, it may have a sweet taste to it or a sweet smell to it. But the truth is it is evil and it is deadly. It says that, that there is good and there is evil. We must acknowledge that, that not every preacher out there is going to give you good food. That not everything that our society says is good or that, that folks tell you is good is the truth. They will feed you counterfeit and cheap imitations of God's Word. And they will feed you counterfeit and cheap imitations of the Gospel. that have nothing to do with sin, nothing to do with a Savior, nothing to do with the cross, or why we need forgiveness in the first place. I read just quickly, I'll tell you this. I read just a quick article this week. And it was contrasting the faith of two different uh, real high-profile um, professional athletes one was an nfl player one was the nba player and the question of the article was why are we okay with this guy and his christianity and everybody loves him but we're not okay with this guy and his version of christianity and the, the meat of the article boiled down to this because this guy that we're not okay with he talks about sin and he talks about repentance and he talks about having to change your life to follow jesus but this guy over here his christianity is all talking about love And his Christianity is talking about God will meet you just where you're at, and he'll give you everything that you want. Who wouldn't want that? No wonder we're not offended by the fact that God says I'm good and I'm all right and I don't need to change, and and God's going to give me everything I want. We call that Santa Claus in our house, all right? right. That's not Christianity. This guy is Christianity. That you need Christ. You need forgiveness. You need a Savior. And listen, if someone is feeding you a gospel that is watered down, that doesn't talk about sin, it doesn't talk about a Savior, it doesn't talk about a need for a cross, and doesn't talk about a need for forgiveness, or it doesn't talk about the need to change your life, they're not giving you solid food that is good for you. You see, an immature Christian will eat it up anyway, not because it's right, but because it's right there. They'll eat it not because it's good, but because someone else told them it was good, because they didn't do the work themselves. And so we come back to where we started, and we come back to these very personal questions, not for the, the, the original author or the original text, of the, uh, the original readers of the text of Hebrews, but really for each of us sitting here. Where's your faith? Is your faith really in kindergarten? Has your faith matured over the course of your Christian life? Let's narrow it down just a little more and be a little more specific. Do you know more about Christ? And are you living and looking more like Christ now in January of 2022 than you did in January of 2021? Do you know more about Him and are you living more like Him now than you were a year ago or two years ago or five years ago? Because if you're not, you're settling for milk instead of meat. You're settling for immaturity rather than growing up and being mature in Christ. And the reality is that you're hurting not just yourself, but you're hurting the community of those around you. See, if you want to make 2022 a better year than 2021, and I don't know anybody that doesn't, then maybe it starts with maturity. Maybe it starts from maturity for us as a church and for us as individuals. And maturity that will develop a healthy appetite for God's Word. A maturity that, that will fulfill our expectations become teachers when we ought to be. Maybe it's a maturity that will not settle for milk instead of meat because we're willing to do the work ourselves. And maybe it's a maturity that we can distinguish between the good and the evil and not just eat anything that's put on the plate in front of us. You want one prayer that will change your year and change your life? It is simply this. God, help me to mature in my faith. Help me to be more like you and know more of you this year than ever before in my life. Let's pray together.